Thank you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. Good morning again, church, and um, it's been such, a, such an amazing morning already. Um, thank you to the worship team leading us and focusing our eyes on Christ, and, um, and uh, Pastor Dale, we love you, and uh, I can't shake that as I'm thinking about, about what I'm about to do, and we honor you and we love you, and uh, we're here for you. Um, I still remember um, the night that I dropped off my friend um, at his house um, after another long conversation. Okay, we'd had many such uh, long conversations in the weeks leading up to that night, and um, this was no different. Um, they were long conversations because he had many questions, um, good questions, questions about um, the origin of the universe, questions about um, uh, morality, the existence of God, the Bible, um, Jesus. He had lots of good questions, and so this night was, was no different than the others. So I remember I parked my car not far from his house, maybe just, just a short distance, and we sat there and we were, we were talking. And truthfully, church, as I look back now, many years later, this was maybe a decade ago, I, as I look back now, I realize that um, this friendship, this friend was really pushing me in a good way. Like, like he was making me think about my faith uh, in a way that I hadn't thought about it before. And um, I believe that I'm better for it. I'm, I'm a better person today because of those conversations. But that particular night... Um, after it seemed that I had answered all his questions. Okay, that's what I thought. Okay, I thought I'd answered everything. I'd made a compelling case for Jesus Christ. And uh, so I, I, or so I thought. And so then I, I somewhat confidently, I asked him, what's still stopping you? I asked him, okay, so, so, so we've answered all your questions. They're all out of the way. What is still standing in your way? What is stopping you from believing? And I'll never forget his response. It was, it was probably the most honest response I've heard in these discussions with, I've had with other people. It was quite honest. He told me that he appreciated everything we talked about, but, but the truth was he didn't want his life to change. He didn't want his life to change. As compelling as the evidence was, as, 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 as many answers as we could throw at someone, the truth was my friend knew that if he began to believe in Jesus, his world would have to change. The way he lived his life would have to, it couldn't stay the same, it would have to change. And this is what kept him from faith. It wasn't all the questions. It wasn't ultimately all the questions and answers. It was this. 
Well, needless to say, as I was driving home, I had, I had tears in my eyes. I was truly, utterly, I felt defeated. I felt so discouraged. I don't know if you've been there after you've tried so, so hard to speak to someone, and I just felt defeated. Um, but over the next few days and weeks, as I look back on that night, as I, as, I, as I prayed about that conversation, I believe God graciously taught me a very important lesson that I still hold to this day, and that's this. At the heart of unbelief, at the heart of the unbeliever is a conflict. Okay? A conflict. As compelling as the case for Christ may be made, there is a conflict in the heart. Your mind may be satisfied, but there's still a conflict in the heart. There's a force that's pulling you in the opposite direction, pulling you away from God. What is it? It's this world. The sinful desires of this world. Friendship with this world and its ways over God. A love for the sins of this world. That's the force, a force that is so strong that it has led many people, compelled or not, to reject Christ. To reject Christ. Well, it is with this in mind that we come to the sobering example of Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate. A man who was compelled by Jesus, but conflicted by the world. A man who deferred this decision about Jesus as long as he possibly could, and after rejecting Christ, somehow managed to convince himself that he would be okay. That he would be okay. And church family and friends, this this is the very same path, I believe, so many people today are on this path, the very same steps, perhaps some of you even in this room, a path that ultimately leads to rejecting Jesus Christ, to rejecting Christ, the only Savior. And so, this is what we're going to do this morning. We're going to examine Pilate's fall. Okay, And I need to tell you right off the bat, I take no pleasure in dissecting someone's rejection of Jesus. Right? We shouldn't take pleasure in the rejection of Jesus. But if there is something that I, that I, that I take pleasure in, it is God's Word after all, and I do take pleasure in this, that God used this example, used the example of Pilate to warn us to warn each and every one of us, to keep us from following his path. Is that okay? Everyone with me? Okay, I've got some nods. and some, Yeah? Okay. So that's where we're going today. So if you can, turn with me in your Bible to John chapter 19. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the, in the seat in front of you. You're going to need it. We're looking at uh, verses 12 to 16, only four verses um, that, was, that were read to us. Um, but before we do that, I'd like to um, pray and prepare our hearts to hear God's word. If you would just join me, you have the Bible open in front of you on your lap, and let's pray and ask God to speak, okay? Father, this is your words, and these are your people. And Father, even those who have yet to believe, you still have people in this room who have yet to put their faith in you. 
And so I pray that your word would do its work this morning. Lord, hide me, and Lord, let your word penetrate our hearts and let it find good soil. Oh, Lord, if anyone is on this path, if anyone in this room is on this path headed to rejection of Jesus Christ, I pray that today would be the day that they change. Today is the day that the conflict is overwhelmed, overcome in their hearts, that they would repent and believe. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to remind you uh, where we are in John's gospel, okay? Because we are now in chapter 19. We've gone 19 chapters. It's been a full year of covering the book of John. And uh, where are we in the narrative, okay? So, so the Roman governor of Judea, whose name is Pontius Pilate, right? That was a hint. I already gave it to you. So Pontius Pilate, he has just ordered the beating of a man that he calls innocent. Okay? You heard me right. He's ordered the beating of a man whom he called innocent. Look at verse 38. I find no guilt in him. This was the last chapter, chapter 18. This is a man who claimed that his kingdom was not of this world. Verse 36. A man who claimed to have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. This is the man that Pilate has just ordered his soldiers to assault. Are you with me so far? Okay, I want you to get into the shoes of this man, Pontius Pilate. And so as Pastor uh, Dave um, showed us last Sunday, I want you to get that scene back in your mind. Here's a man who's barely able to stand. Why? Because his body was just torn apart with 40 lashes. Right? From a Roman soldier, 40 lashes. Blood is dripping from the thorns that were dug into his scalp. Staining the, 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 the purple, purple robe, right? The mocking robe that they put on him. His face has been disfigured. His face has been disfigured by bruising from the repeated slaps that he has received along the way. And there's saliva spattered all over his body where the crowd's um, spit on him. And as if this was not enough, church, as if this was not enough, the people wanted more, right? They wanted him dead. What, what, why? John tells us. Chapter 19, verse 7. Take a look. John tells us why. Because he has made himself the son of God. He's made himself the son of of God. And when, when Pilate hears this, everything changed. Look at verse 8. When Pilate hears this, he becomes even more, what? Afraid. Wouldn't you be? The, 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 the guy that you just ordered your soldiers to beat, to assault, turns out he may very well be the son of God? Of course you'd be afraid. I'd be afraid. And so Pilate is even more Afraid, and, and, and look at the question he asks in verse 9. I think this is an... He doesn't ask, who, who are you? Look at the question he asks, the question that's plaguing his heart. Where are you from? Where are you from? Pilate is trying to figure out, who is this man? Who is this Jesus? 
Well, Jesus does not reply, and so Pilate's fear, he is afraid. He was afraid in verse 8, but you can see in verse 10, it changes. Do you see that? It changes in verse 10 to a kind of frustration, right? A kind of anger. He's a little bit indignant now. He's like, what does he ask? Do you know who I am? That's what he asks. Pilate asks Jesus, do you know who I am? Which is ironic, right? Because, because he doesn't know who who Jesus is. But he's asking, do you know who, do you know that I have the power to release you or kill you? Do you know who I am? That's the question Pilate asks Jesus. Which brings us to the very last words that Jesus ever says to Pilate, directly to Pilate. This is the last recorded words that Jesus ever says to Pilate directly. Here it is, verse 11, where we ended last Sunday. Jesus answers, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who has delivered me over to you has the greater sin. And with that, Jesus says no more words that are recorded for us. No more words to Pilate. This is where we ended last Sunday, as, as, as Keith mentioned. The two currents, right, of God's sovereignty and man's choices, right, coming together. But that brings us to our text this morning, verse 12. Look at verse 12 and see what it says as it begins. It says, from then on. Can you say that with me? From then on, Pilate sought to release him. From then on. Um, the first point I want to make this morning, the first point I'd like you to see in Pilate's rejection of Jesus is this. Number one, Pilate found Jesus compelling. Pilate found Jesus compelling. Do you know what it means to find something compelling? You know what that means? Um, Naroshi and I, we, we love to go to Niagara Falls. Okay, I don't know why. Maybe I just love, you like it too. Yeah, we, we love to go there. I proposed to her there. She didn't have a choice with the proposal, but yeah, I, we still like going there. It's a nice place. Um, so, so, Niagara, so my challenge to you is this, okay? Here's my challenge. The next time you drive to Niagara Falls, I want you to walk along that walkway. You know the walkway with the railing and you can see? I want you to walk along that walkway, but I want you to not look at the falls. You may feel the mist. You may hear the roar of the, the mighty waters. I want you to not look at the falls because then you will understand what it means to find something compelling. Something that compels you. That, that you can't help but look. You can't help but, but stop. You, 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 the urge is irresistible, right? It evokes your interest. It grabs your attention. It demands that you consider it. In a word, that's what it means to be compelling. And this is what Jesus' words did to Pilate. It compelled him. It caused him to stop. It caused him to change what he was going to do from then on, it says, right? After hearing those words, Pilate, it says, from then on, he sought to release him. What does that mean? It means that Jesus' words did something to Pilate. 
They did something to Pilate. They caused him to stop and consider. And I don't want you to get me wrong. I'm not saying Pilate believed in Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying Pilate believed in Jesus, but there's no denying that he found Jesus compelling. He found him compelling. You know, friends, even when Jesus wasn't speaking, he was compelling. Even when he wasn't speaking. Look at this, Matthew 27, 14. 27, 14. He gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor, who's the governor? Pontius Pilate was greatly amazed. As if he is standing beside a mighty waterfall without a word spoken, he was greatly amazed by Jesus, amazed by his actions, amazed by his life, in a word, compelling. What am I trying to say? If you're not a Christian this morning, if you're not a Christian this morning, You don't need to believe in Jesus to find him compelling. You don't need to believe in Jesus to find him compelling. May I remind you, this is a man who virtually all historical scholars of antiquity agree that he existed. Okay, whether you believe what he said is a separate story. Everyone agrees that this man walked the earth 2,000 years ago. Do you believe what was written about him, about his words, about his life, about his death, about his resurrection, about the miracles? Whether you believe those or not, you simply cannot deny that Jesus is compelling. He is compelling. The one whose book has, has been read and has been sold more than any other book in human history. Like human history. That's his book. This is the man for whom there are more historical documents, more proof than any other figure in history. If you believe that Caesar Augustus even existed, there's only a fragment of the proof for that, as there is for Jesus Christ. And so can you imagine Pilate standing before this man, the man that we still talk about 2,000 years later? Can you imagine? Of course, Pilate was compelled. He was compelled standing before this man. That's the first point. But that brings us to the second point. The second step in Pilate's fall, his rejection of Jesus, is this. Though he was compelled by Jesus, he was conflicted by what? The world. By the world. Look at this, verse 12. Let's let's go back to verse 12. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but, here it is, But the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. You're not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. Okay? Opposes Caesar. So I need to give you a bit of background so you understand the conflict. Okay? Here's the conflict. We've covered this in in weeks past, so I'm not going to belabor the point. But Pilate was on thin ice. Right? Pilate was on thin ice. Up to this point, he's already made a few blunders, okay? Has anyone made mistakes at your job and you know you're on thin ice? Don't raise your hand, okay? But you know what I mean, right? If you've made mistakes and your boss knows about it, you're already on thin ice. And that was Pilate's situation. He was on thin ice with his boss, Caesar Tiberius. And the Jews, 
they knew it. They knew that Pilate's job was far from secure. And so, with that in mind, when you look at this verse, what are they actually doing? What are they doing? It's a threat. Do you see that? They're threatening him. What are they saying? If you are releasing Jesus, you are not supporting your boss, Caesar. You see the problem, right? Jesus is claiming to be king in a land where Caesar is already king. You you see the tension, right, that the Jews are bringing up. And so what are they saying? They're saying, if you do this, you are committing treason. You're committing treason against Caesar. And it's not said in the text, but it's kind of implied, oh, and we're going to tell on you, right? Like, we're not going to keep it to ourselves. We're going to tell Caesar. What am I trying to say? Church, this is not just about losing his job. This wasn't just about losing his possessions. Pilate could have lost his life for this, right? For treason? Like, I mean, people lost their lives for much less in the Roman Empire. Pilate could have lost his life. So here's the conflict. What's at stake, right? Sure, you were compelled by Jesus, but here's what's at stake for Pilate. His health, his wealth, his reputation. I mean, all the pleasures that he could enjoy being a man like him. I mean, can you imagine being a friend of Caesar? Of Caesar, the most powerful man. Do you think that came with some perks? Yeah. Do you have any friends in powerful places? Right? You know what? Right? You should all say yes, right? Because, right? Okay. But anyways, that's a separate sermon, I guess. So, right? Of course it came with some perks. Caesar has a lot to lose. This was the conflict in Pilate's heart. Sorry, Pilate. Pilate. This was the pull. Sure, he was compelled by Jesus, but at what cost? What would have to change? How would his life have to change if he were to believe and follow Jesus? And if if you go a bit deeper, if you go under the surface, the question really is, what did his heart love more? That's the real question, right? Um, Was it friendship with Caesar, friendship with the world, or God? That's the question. And church, is this not the very same question at the heart of every unbeliever. Isn't this it? What do you love more? I want to show you this. James chapter 4 verse 4. James says this. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is what? Enmity with God. It's, it's hostility with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I, I, I don't want you to miss what he's saying. He's not talking about being a friend with a non-believer. We all have friends who are non-Christian, right? That's not what he's talking about. And you know that because see how he starts verse 4. What does he say? You adulterous people. What's adultery? Adultery is not a matter of friendships. Adultery is a matter of the heart. It's a matter of who you love. Do you love the person you were made to love, the person you were meant to love, or do you love someone else? That's what adultery is. That's what this is about. 
For Pilate, this is the conflict. The God who made him and faithfully loved him and created him is here, and you are choosing to reject that God and love someone else instead. That's the conflict. This was Pilate's conflict. So, verse 13. Let's see what he does, okay? So when Pilate heard these words, he heard the threat, he remembered the conflict, he brought Jesus out, sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement and an Aramaic Gabbatha. Gabbatha. So Pilate gets up, okay, he leaves the room, he goes to his judgment seat. Judgment seat then was just a raised seat, okay, and it overlooked the court and, and the people were there so he could see everyone. And so he's sitting on this, on this judgment seat and John doesn't tell us this, but, but in Matthew we learn that while he's sitting on the judgment seat, do you know what happens? His wife comes into the story, okay? His wife sends him a message. Here it is. His wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him in a dream. In a dream. Now, husbands, you know that if your wife has a dream, you listen, right? You listen. <laughs> no. You listen, uh, jokes aside, this is the conflict, right? This is adding to the pressure on this man, on his heart. It adds the mounting pressure as his wife tells him this. You can imagine if your wife told you this, how much it would add to the conflict. So verse 14, John continues. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold, your king. Okay? Behold your king. Now, if you're not careful, like I was, well, I wasn't careful when I first read this verse, verse 14, you, will, you may think this is, this is just, you know, filler. This is just a detail, um, and you might just brush over this and miss the significance of what John is saying here, okay? I want you to, I want you to follow along. This is a detail about the time, right? You see that, verse 14? This is about timing, right? So what does he tell us? This is the time when all of this is happening to Jesus. Here's what he says. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. So the Passover Sabbath was on Saturday, okay? So the day of preparation for the Passover would be Friday, okay? So you're with me? So it was a Friday. And then he says, it was the sixth hour, okay? Now, for us, the Jews, third, sixth, ninth, they have different ways of, of classifying time. But for us, the sixth hour means noon. Noon. It's about 12 noon, okay? So... So this is the time, he, so, so if you compare John's gospel with Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you'll see that Jesus actually is crucified sometime between 9 and 12 in the morning on, on that Friday, okay? The Friday before Passover Sabbath, that's when Jesus was crucified on the cross between 9 a.m. and 12, sometime like now, not 9 to 12, okay? Now, why does that matter? Because in the, in the book of Exodus... When the people of Israel were being redeemed from slavery, remember, they were in Egypt, um, in each home, they were told to take a lamb and slaughter it, right? Kill the lamb and take the blood and do what? That was the Passover lamb. Take the blood and paint it on the doorpost. And what would happen? The angel of death would pass over. 
That's where that word Passover comes from, right? They celebrate the Passover every year. What does it mean? It means the angel of death passed over those homes that had the blood on the doorpost. That was Passover, okay? So why is that significant? Well, as it turns out, between 9 and 12 in the morning on that particular Friday, the day of preparation, is is the very same time when the Jews would bring their little lambs to Jerusalem so that those lambs would be killed in preparation for the Passover between 9 and 12. So can you picture this scene that while the Jews are bringing their little lambs to be killed in Jerusalem at the very same time the true Lamb of God The firstborn son of God was being killed outside the city. Do you see this this scene as they bring their little lambs to celebrate the Passover? And here's the Lamb of God. Very same time. Just incredible. It It is into this scene that Pilate says to the people, Behold your king. Behold your king. And I want to I ask you a question, okay? I want to ask you a question. Do you think that Pilate knew? Do you think he knew the truth of what he was saying? Do, do, do you think that Pilate understood that, that, that he was referring to the true king of Israel, the long-awaited king of Israel? Do you think that, that he knew that out of his sarcastic and, and mocking lips that this man who once said, what is truth, was now unwittingly, unknowingly declaring the greatest truth of all? Do you think he knew that Jesus was king, that he is king, the true king of kings? Do you think Pilate knew Well, the people, verse 15, they cried out, away with him, (laughs) away with him. We don't want him. Crucify him. Pilate says to them again, shall I crucify your king? He clarifies again, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answers, we have no king but Caesar, but Caesar. The ultimate rejection, right? The ultimate rejection of Jesus. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. The third step I want to show you, okay, we're talking about Pilate's rejection of Jesus, okay? It started, he was compelled by Jesus, he was conflicted by the world, and now I want to tell you that he deferred the decision. He deferred the decision, and I want to show you this. If you follow closely the last hours of Jesus' life, okay, before he dies on the cross, if you follow those hours closely, you will realize that Pilate actually defers his decision again and again and again. It's not, it's not always clear when you read one passage, but as you go through it, you realize he put off this decision basically until he had no choice. He put it off and put it off. I want to show you this. Luke 23 After Jesus first came to Pilate, do you know that he actually defers him to Herod? 
Yeah. He says, that's not my jurisdiction. Send him to Herod. That's the first time he defers the decision. Anyways, Pilate and Herod became friends after this. That's a different story, okay? Verses 11 and 12. But then Pilate, so Jesus comes back to Pilate. Now Pilate calls in the chief priests and the rulers. He calls them in. And then he goes back and forth and back and forth and says, you do what you want with him. And they say, no, we have a law. We can't do it. And they go back and forth, basically trying to put this decision into anyone's hands but his own. But his own. And the hypocrisy of that is this. What did he say to Jesus? Do you remember what he said to Jesus? So confidently, so arrogantly. What did he say in verse 10? That he had the power to do what? To release him or kill him. So who had the responsibility to make the decision? Pilate! He knew he had the responsibility to make the decision about Jesus, about what he would do with Jesus. But he deferred and delayed his decision basically until the crowds forced his hand. I want to show you this. Matthew 27. It took the beginning of a riot. A riot to force Pilate finally to decide. What's my point? What am I trying to say? Um, I think there are many people in the world, and perhaps some of you here, who are doing the very same thing that Pilate did with Christ. The very same thing. Maybe you found Jesus compelling, but you're conflicted by the world. And now, instead of making a decision, you have decided to defer. You've deferred. You say, maybe when I'm done school, right? Maybe when I'm done school, I'll look into this whole Jesus thing. Maybe when, I'm, when, I'm, when I have a job, or when I'm married, or when I'm settled with kids, or, you know, someday I will do it. But today, defer, defer, defer. Is that you, dear friends? Is that you? delaying and, and postponing and, and putting off the decision about Jesus day after day until one day, guess what? The decision will be made for you. It will be made for you. When God's grace and His patient kindness will be no more. And you will join, the, join Pilate and the people in their chorus. We have no king but Caesar. This was the rejection of Jesus. This was the end of the road. This was it. And if you've followed me up to this point, you might be wondering, how does someone go on living their life after rejecting Jesus? Right? How does my friend, I told you about my friend, how does, how does he go on living how does he wake up another day and keep going? After rejecting the only way of salvation, how does someone go on living their life? And that brings us to the final point. Pilate convinced himself that he was okay. That he would be okay. John doesn't tell us this, but um, Matthew records it. He does something in front of the people. I think you all know what I mean. Pilate does something um, that is very important. Look at this, Matthew 27, 24. When Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but that a riot was beginning, look what he does. He took water, right? 
and he began to wash his hands, right? He washed his hands before the crowd. And he says, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves, okay? So after committing the greatest injustice in human history, human history, handing over the sinless Son of God to be murdered, this is what Pilate told himself. I'm innocent. I'm innocent. This is what he convinced himself. Somehow, somehow he convinced himself that he, this is how you get to sleep at night. How do you think he gets to sleep on Friday night? I don't know if he slept with his wife. They slept in the same bed. She was like, I told you about the dream. I don't know what happened. How do you think he fell asleep that night and every miserable night for the rest of his life? By convincing himself that he was okay. Somehow. He can, he, he, did he so quickly forget what Jesus said? What was the last words that Jesus said to Pilate? Look at this, verse 11. I told you this when we, when we began. What was the last thing he said? Who, Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Jesus did not say that Pilate had no sin. Jesus didn't say that Pilate had no blame. Jesus said, your sin may not be as great as the high priest, but he's still a sinner. He's still a sinner. He's still guilty. Jesus had used his last words to tell Pilate the truth, that you are a sinner. And Pilate dismissed Christ's words completely and convinced himself that he was okay. I mean, look around. People are rioting. I'm not that bad, right? That's what he's thinking. He's looking at the people. They're all picking up things to, to throw, and it's a riot. I'm not that bad. I'm, not, I'm okay. I'm going to be okay. And church, isn't this how so many people today absolve themselves of guilt? Isn't this it? By somehow, after they've rejected Jesus, they've, how do they justify rejecting Christ? By ignoring his words, okay, I'm not that bad, I'm not a sinner. Looking at other people, I'm not as bad as him or her. And then convincing themselves, I'm okay, I'm going to be okay. And friend, if that's you this morning, with all the love that I can muster, I want to tell you something. You could wash your hands you could scrub them as until they crack and bleed. But you will by no means rid yourself of the sin you have committed. By no means. By no means. The sin that separates you from a holy God. The sin of rejecting His only Son who He sent to save sinners. That sin is not washed away by water. It's not washed away by water. And yet this is what Pilate did. This is what he did. So as we conclude, these are the steps that Pilate took on the road to rejecting Jesus. He was compelled by Christ. He was conflicted by the world. He deferred his decision as long as he possibly could until he could convince himself 
that he would be okay. That he would be okay. And so I want to close by just speaking to those of you who have not repented and believed this morning. I want to tell you something. I want to leave you with a picture, okay? Remember in verse 13, Pilate sat on that seat, right? The judgment seat, right? The raised seat, right? He's sitting on that seat. And while he sat on that seat, he asked the people a question. Okay, it's Matthew 27, 22. He asked them a question. Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? What shall I do with Jesus, he asks. But little did he know, Pilate, that the one he was judging in his little court would be the very one who one day is going to judge him. And every one of us by the same question. What did you do with Jesus who is called the Christ? This is the very question, church and friends. The very question that's before you and I today. What will you do with Jesus? All of us have gone astray. All of us. All like sheep have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord has laid on Jesus the sins of every one of us. He was oppressed and yet and afflicted. And like a lamb led to the slaughter, like a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And though they found no guilt in him worthy of death, they asked Pilate to do what? To execute him. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree. They laid him in the tomb. But God raised him from the dead. God raised him from the dead. And church and friends, this is the power that can overcome the conflict in your heart. This is the power. The resurrection power of God that can overcome the pulling forces that are trying to keep you from Him. This is the power that can regenerate a dead, unbelieving heart so that you can repent and believe. This is the power. This is the power. So that if you're a Christian this morning, if you've already repented and believed, this is why you can rejoice. There's something greater than a friendship with Caesar. There's something greater than this passing world and its fleeting desires. There's something worth even losing your life for, for the sake of your soul. What is it? What is that something? Philippians 3.8, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. The surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus is worth it all. It's worth it. If I could say one thing to my friend, I haven't had a conversation with him about faith since that day. It's been maybe 10 years. But if I could go back and say one thing to my friend, I'd say, be compelled by Jesus. Be compelled by him. Forsake this passing world. Forsake it. And stop deferring Stop delaying. Stop putting it off. And stop trying in vain to wash your hands. In vain. 
to wash your hands of sin and come to the cross. Come to the cross. Are you tired? Aren't you tired of trying to get it off? Come to the cross where Jesus has died so that you and I might live. Worship team, if you can come. And church, if you can stand. As I said when I began, we take no delight in dissecting the rejection, a person's rejection of Jesus. We don't rejoice in that, in where Pilate is today. But if we can take any solace or any comfort, it is this, that his example is recorded for us for a reason, to warn us and to keep us from the same end. So let's pray as we close. Father, I thank you so much for this short passage, O Lord, as we see the steps that Pilate took, being compelled, being conflicted, deferring, and then somehow convincing himself he was okay. Oh Lord, we grieve over so many people who have taken the same path. But this morning, you have people in this room, people who have yet to believe, yet to repent and believe. And so I pray that if their heart is, is being convicted right now. May they not put it off. May they stop delaying and deferring, knowing that tomorrow is never guaranteed. Oh, Lord, today is the day. If you hear his voice, Lord, let us not harden our hearts as in the rebellion. Help us, O oh God, to turn to you with simple faith because you are truly the king. You are the king who is coming to reign. And Lord, may we, while there is still time, may we repent and submit ourselves to you that we may find forgiveness and life. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray.